Welcome to the Make Life Less Difficult podcast. This podcast explores what it means to make life less difficult for each other and for ourselves. We share stories of struggles and successes because we believe sharing our stories eases the difficulty of life. I'm Lisa Tilstra, your host. Let's jump in to today's conversation. My guest today is Beatrice Reddy. Beatrice is a positive leadership facilitator, an executive coach, and a chief happiness officer. Before turning to full-time coaching and leadership development, Beatrice worked for 28 years in global corporations in the pharmaceutical sector as a leader in marketing and sales functions, both in the industry and the consulting side. While working in global management roles in the commercial arena, she adopted a coaching leadership style that facilitated and empowered the people around her to bring their best selves to work and to create resilient, collaborative, enthusiastic, multicultural, and cross-functional teams. Her raison d'etre has now become to help people find their purpose, to reconnect with their uniquenesses and strengths and develop these and flourish. Beatrice has degrees from King's College, London University, and the Bocconi School of Management. In addition, she's qualified with one of Europe's top business schools, INSEAD, with their Leading in a Transforming World certification. She's a certified coach with the International Coach Federation and a practitioner with the European Mentoring and Coaching Council, and also a certified Chief Happiness Officer with To Be Happy Agency. Apart from her work, Beatrice enjoys walking in nature, trekking up mountains, and undertaking creative activities, especially photography and video making. She's happily married and blessed with two Spitfire children. Beatrice and I met recently through mutual work opportunities. And when we began to explore recording a podcast together, we clicked incredibly easily and I knew that we would have a fantastic time. In our conversation today, Beatrice shares pieces of her journey as she has sought to find and develop meaning in her life and develop her authentic self. The time during COVID was a real game changer for her. There was job loss, sickness, dissonance, and these things really pushed Beatrice onto a deep dive to self-discovery and to getting back in touch with her core values. Beatrice Thank you so much for sharing with us today. Thank you for bringing your wisdom, your authenticity, your happiness, your gratitude to the conversation and to the stories that you have shared. You are a beautiful light in the world. Thank you so much for reminding us to move through life with love. Beatrice, welcome to the Make Life Less Difficult podcast. Thank you, Lisa. I'm really looking forward to this. We had to kind of push ourselves to put the record button on and start the official podcast because this is what only the second time that we've talked. We're not actually in person, but on Zoom and the conversation flows very freely and easily. So welcome. And I'm very happy to have you here and looking forward to our conversation together. Thank you, Lisa. And I'm really happy to be here too and super excited 
This is going to be my very first podcast. That's so exciting. And I feel honored to, <laughs> to be the podcast that is your first and certainly not your last. Well, I feel I'm, I'm in very good hands with you. And so, yeah, I'm happy, happy to have this, this opportunity. And like you said, I mean, we could chit chat for hours. You and I, we have so much, you know, so many stories that we, we enjoy exchanging. So hopefully today will help. I think if this podcast can even reach just one person and touch one person's life, I'm happy. You know, that's, that's a success for me. Yes. Same. Same here. So Beatrice, as we start, I have a standard question that I ask all of my guests around this idea of making life less difficult. This comes from a quote by Marianne Evans. What do we live for if not to make life less difficult for each other? And I would love to hear from you. What does that mean to you? So for me, I think it means cultivating your sense of purpose and cultivating your happiness in life. So giving your life meaning and knowing that everything you go through is really an opportunity to learn and grow and evolve and finding and developing your authentic self. You just said a lot and it flowed very freely. There's a lot of depth to what you just shared. So I would like to invite you to share some of your journey of finding meaning, finding this authentic self that you mentioned. I am, I'm guessing, and we've talked just a little bit, but there, there's a, there's a number of stories behind that. And it typically Mm. is quite a journey to get to a place of really feeling, I think, centered in our purpose and the meaning of life and who we are authentically. So I will stop talking now and turn it over to you. Okay. So I, I would say that I'm kind of a, a late bloomer and in, in this journey. So I grew up in different countries. So by the age of 21, I'd lived in five different countries. I'd lived in Milan, London, Paris, New York, and Madrid. Oh. And I think that at such a young age, when you're sort of still developing, living in these different countries and studying. So it was different schools, different languages, different school system, different homes and different friends. And people would dress differently in the different cities we were in and just has a huge impact on you as you're growing up. And I think that I became highly adaptable. So wherever you put me, I would just kind of morph (laughs) into what was expected of me in that context. And also on top of that, you add your, the conditioning that you get from your family of origin. So, you know, and, and society, which is, which is for me was having a good education and getting married and, and having kids. That was kind of what was expected of me. Mm. And it wasn't until, do you know that film actually? The Runaway Bride by Gary Marshall. It's like a chick flick. I do. I I know it well. (laughs) Yeah. So that's the story of, it's with Richard Gere and Julia Roberts, right? And it's a story of this big city reporter who goes to cover the story of uh, the uh, character of Julia Roberts who runs away every time she's close to tying the knot. And 
that film actually, even though it was very funny, did resonate with me because there's a, a part in that film where she needs to kind of step out to take a break from everything and just figure out who she is. And so that was me. I found that, you know, I got to that stage quite late. I would say my late 30s, really thinking, what am I doing with my life? Is this what is this life that I'm living really the life that I want? Or do I have some more agency in actually designing the life that I want for me? And who am I anyway? What do I want? You know, just getting that self-awareness, finding meaning in my life. And and I think that COVID was with a was a big was a big influence on my life as well. I mean, I did get married and and had kids, and I always had some wonderful jobs in big corporations, multinational corporations. And you know, I was blessed to have had all these different experiences and so much love in my life. But COVID was definitely a big um, a big had 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 a huge impact. I mean, the last three years. I've literally been working from my small bedroom in Milan with my fluffy cat as my partner. I was always used to work remotely, but I used to work maybe two days per week in the office and the rest at home. But it was a choice, right? Yeah. Uh, now it's become, it became a necessity. And, and you, um, you were in Milan during all of COVID. So, I mean, you were in some severe lockdown. I was... I was not in Milan, actually. We were lucky because before the actual lockdown happened, we were outside the city in the mountains. Okay. So when lockdown happened, we had a, we, we, were, we were already up in the mountains, so we decided to stay there, and we ended up staying for three months. So we were meant to stay there just for the weekend and then ended up staying for three months, and it was the best decision we made because Milan at the time, there were some very long queues even just to go to the supermarket, yeah. And in the mountains, we had a bit more freedom in terms of, you know, we had a garden, there were no queues to go to the supermarket. At least we had some fresh air, but it was severe. I mean, it was literally for three months. Even in the mountains, I didn't go out of the house for the first two months. Yeah. We were very scared. I mean, we didn't have the masks. We didn't have the alcohol. They're, they were telling us that we, you know, there was a, a very, a very strong virus and that we had to stay at home. Yeah. And we were all very scared. Mm-hmm. And I was working like crazy throughout this whole time with kids at home and no help mm-hmm. so it was me and my husband and these two small kids they were eight and ten at the time we didn't have enough wi-fi for everybody mm-hmm. and i was working like 12 hour days and it was mm-hmm. crazy but we we made we made it we made you know we made the most of it mm-hmm. so i i'm very interested to hear a little bit more of how this I mean, COVID was a major transition point for a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons. Before you tell us more about that, I I just want to take a moment to acknowledge what you shared earlier. And your cat is joining us. I love that. Yeah, this is Mimi. You see, she's always likes to participate in all my video calls. Our pet pets <laughs> are always welcome on the Make Life Less Difficult <laughs> podcast. I love that. You know, when you were talking about the Runaway Bride movie, I know exactly what scene you were talking about where Julia Roberts' character is kind of called out for not having her own opinion about what kind of eggs she likes. She yeah. always just likes whoever. And it's it's so interesting that you you named that movie and just 
kind of referred to that scene because I know there've been different parts of my own life too, where I've had to pause and think, wait a minute, what do I actually like? I just have learned for various reasons, different reasons than yours, but to adapt and adjust and accept and defer to other people who I'm with. And it's not always easy to step into that and say, wait a minute, what do I like? What don't I like? Give myself permission to not like some things and like other things. So I just want to acknowledge that and what you said about part of your journey to figuring yourself out authentically. It's quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And and I think Lisa, it also has to do with the fact that we are women and growing up, at least in my time, there was this conditioning that good girls adapt and being a people pleaser and being nice and not necessarily, you know, if you if you had some kind of opinion, you were labeled as the bossy one or the stubborn one. Mm-hmm. Whilst, you know, growing up and having my my own daughter, I I see it as yay, you know, she has everything. <laughs> inside of her that she needs in order to be able to face whatever challenge is going to be thrown her way and to find her own identity and uh, which may not be you know what i had envisioned for her will definitely not be what i because i haven't even envisioned anything for her at all but if not just to for her to be able to express her own self yeah yeah i appreciate yeah. sharing that is cuz i think there is for me too when i track back to growing up years it is i I consider my family of origin very loving and fairly traditional in the sense that my dad had the final say in things and we weren't asked as kids, we weren't asked much for our input on things anyway. So we didn't really have a chance to develop much of our own strong opinions about things until we were much older. So, yeah. So with COVID, You had these three months in the mountains and then mm-hmm. where to from there and how did this impact of this time of transition continue to play out? Yeah. So at the time of COVID, I actually took over a team, a pretty large team. And what I instantly felt was just that the team was suffering, you know, people were shut down at home and everybody was reacting in different ways. So we had the single one, the single person at home by themselves, you know, the other person maybe with kids like myself having to manage everything. Another person that was a caregiver for her parents and was unable to see her parents during that time. So there was a lot of stress in the team. And I started to try to mitigate this isolation of not being able to go into the office and and maybe having, in Italy, it's the the social aspect of going to the office is really big. So you go to the office, you have coffee, you go for lunch. It's a big part of the culture here. Mm. And that just suddenly stopped. So I tried to mitigate that by having, for example, this peritivo time on a Thursday afternoon and where my team was able for an hour just to share how they were feeling, any stories. I would actually ask them to, ahead of that time, maybe share a picture or a poem or music or Mm. something that would help to connect with the rest of the team. 
And this informal time became a, a really great time for everybody to have that energy exchange and to connect. And, you know, we discovered people's passions and things that we wouldn't have necessarily discovered if COVID had not been there. I discovered, for example, crocheting. I mean, I didn't even know I liked crocheting, but it was my coping mechanism, I think. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Started crocheting blankets and things. Yeah. But so what became what was a very difficult time actually became a really nice time to connect. And after lockdown, the team said that they wanted to continue this tradition of having this sort of, you know, informal aperitivo time. But I started feeling just this dissonance, let's say, between my needs and what I was getting from work. So I had these back-to-back Zoom calls, emails, and then we had, you know, the different platforms, the Teams and the WhatsApp. And I started getting these really strong migraines and really feeling burnt out. So I went through different restructures during the COVID time. And I just soon realized that I was no longer able to compromise my integrity and my humanity and myself and that I had come to the end of a chapter in my life and an end of an era for me and I had to pivot. And that's when I really, really had to work on my self-awareness. And basically, I put myself through what I now apply in my own coaching practice, which is understanding my values, my strengths, identify my purpose in life, what I enjoy doing, what I rock at and want to rock at. And so I, I kind of put myself through this whole process. And that's when I had this light bulb moment. And I was like, wow maybe I should look into coaching and, and helping other people go through a similar transformation. Mm. What was it like for you to be in the midst of learning? Do you consider it learning or relearning? It's a bit of both, I think, mm. a bit of both. I mean, I took my first coaching course back in 1998. Okay. A long time ago, before I think, you know, coaching was a thing, but I was working for a multinational company and they wanted their leaders to have a coaching style. So I did this incredible course and it must have stuck with me because if I look at my leadership style, it's always very much been sort of coaching based, which is really helping, you know, unleash the potential of the other people as opposed to telling them what to do. It's really putting them in the conditions to be able to flourish So I took some time to reskill and upskill myself. And I did two certifications last year. So I decided to become a transformational coach. So I did some research on how to do that. And I decided to get my diploma from Animus School of Coaching in London, which is a six months program. And then with that diploma, I could access the ICF certification, Mm -hmm. which is... um, For those that are non-coaches, it's sort of a a body, an American, it's the International Coaching Federation. And I was able to certify at an ACC level quite quickly, which is great because I really wanted to have that credibility. I mean, there's only 33,000 ICF coaches, certified ICF coaches worldwide. And I really wanted to have that certification to be able to, you know, just have that credibility in terms of 
building up my practice. And at the same time, I looked into doing another course, which another certification, which is a chief happiness officer certification, and which was really also another passion of mine. And that's really understanding the DNA of a company, sort of the four dimensions. It's all about cultural transformation, positive leadership, positive organizations and corporate happiness. And that also took another few months to do. So I combine my two souls, coaching and chief happiness officer, to really help with positive leadership development. I would love to hear you talk about what exactly happiness is as a chief <laughs> happiness officer. There's, there's a great ring to this. And I will be really honest with you, Beatrice, there's a part of me when you talk about corporate happiness, there's a skeptical part of me that's like, is it really possible that corporations are happy? <laughs> right? So tell us more. Yeah. So chief happiness officer is, I mean, Basically, we are going through what Gallup calls the new pandemic, which is the the global pandemic, the mental health pandemic, right? The workplace has a huge problem. I mean, we're talking about $7.8 trillion of workplace problem where people just feel so disengaged from their jobs, from their the company they work for, their, their, their purpose. There's only about four people, yeah, one, one person out of five that feels fully engaged. The rest are not. And it's just wow. such a way. And engagement cannot be achieved just by sort of financial incentive. It has to be achieved when a person feels that they are serving a higher purpose, right? So it's not just about profit it's also about sort of the person the planet and overall prosperity so they have to feel that they really are making a difference in this world and companies often struggle in understanding how to engage really engage all of their people and get the best out of their people in a way that the person can develop both professionally but also personally because you can't really divide the two i mean we are a person and so we need to take our whole selves to to work and not just our professional self but also our personal selves so it's really about helping companies and how do we help companies is by helping leaders become more positive because you cannot have positive organizations without positive leadership it's impossible So it's almost like working on a one-to-one basis, a little bit like that story of, do you know the story of the starfish story by Lauren Easley? I think I do share this because it's so beautiful. Yes. So Lauren Easley was an American educator, a philosopher, was an anthropologist and a a natural science writer. He, He basically taught and wrote books. And I think it was just before he died back in 1969, he wrote this beautiful story called The Star Thrower. And it's about an old man walking on a beach and he sees a little boy and almost looks like the boy's kind of dancing because he's moving around. And on this, this beach is covered with stars, with starfish. And the sun is up, the tide is going out and the boy is is basically throwing one by one these fish back into the ocean. 
and the 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 old man says what are you doing you know there's there's thousands of starfish and he's like yeah i'm just throwing them back because otherwise they'll die and the man's like but you can't the old man's like but you can't possibly make a difference there's just you know the beach is covered with all these starfish and the boy's like well it made a difference to that one and chuck and, and like one by one and he says it made a difference to that one and it's you know and that's my kind of sense of purpose is okay i can't have maybe a huge impact but even if i can just help one person in my life yeah. and i will definitely help more than one person but even just one person that's success it's such a powerful shift in perspective and and there are enormous problems in the world that i know i myself sometimes feel a sense of helplessness to make a difference and coming back to that what can i do to help even if it's just one person and it, I'll, I'll give this credit to my brother. He was recently sharing a leadership talk he heard, but oftentimes, and I have, I have heard this myself from leaders that I've worked for. If I ask for something particular, be it around time off or et cetera, they're like, Oh, I'm sorry. We can't do that for you. Cause if we did that for you, we'd have to do it for everyone. And pardon my language, but I call bullshit on that because, you know, it was my brother and and he was quoting someone else, but basically saying, Hey, what you can't do for everyone do for the one person or the two people, right? Like make a difference in that small sense that I, I wish I could do this for everyone. I can do it for this individual who has just come to me or this individual. And, and then let me see where I can go from there. But it's such a different mindset of like, well, we can't do it for all 50,000 starfish. So we're not going to do it for one. Exactly. Absolutely. And also I think companies often forget or don't even think about asking their people what they need. Hmm. And this shouldn't come top, top down. It should really come bottom up. I mean, Companies need to really understand, and companies are made of people, right? Of course, they're also made of the products and their services and et cetera. But really, they have such incredible potential within them, which is the people that can really make the difference. And if you think about only, this is again, Gallup is saying that people will only use about 20% of their potential at work. Mm. So imagine that huge 80% of untapped potential that you could tap into as an organization. If only you made these people feel more cared for, not just make them feel, but actually really authentically care for them. And so that the organization is not just, I believe that the organization shouldn't just be, of course it needs to make a profit, but it can also serve a higher purpose, which is more ecosystemic to really help reduce the, you know, the suffering that we have in this world. So it can be a place where people can go be happy, thrive, because the impact of being miserable workers has a huge impact on you. You take that at home with you. I mean, you know, the divorce rates, the the, the families breaking up, the mm-hmm. impact it has in your relationships, on your health. Mm-hmm. Having a bad manager has been shown to to influence on your health more than your family doctor. That's wild, and also. <laughs> It should be a wake-up call too, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. I I can't help but wonder, you mentioned a few minutes ago that it seems like leaders 
seem to forget about asking, right? It doesn't necessarily need to come top down. Leaders should ask their employees, what is it that you need? What is it that would motivate you, help you feel cared for and a sense of belonging here at work? I can't help but wonder, and maybe this is just my bias, so push me in a different direction if if needed, but I wonder if leaders are afraid to ask that question. Why would they be afraid to ask, Lisa? My sense is that there is a fear that they cannot provide what mm. people might ask for. So better not to ask, because if I mm-hmm. can't provide it, well, then it's worse mm-hmm. off than if I didn't ask at all. And I, I, I question mm. that logic. Well, I think if you look at it from a different perspective, it's don't necessarily have to, it's not the leader that needs to provide it, but your workers probably have the resources to be able to input it into the organization themselves. Like, for example, just, you know, even tapping into people's passions and understanding what makes them tick and inviting them to bring that uniqueness into the fold. People are super excited about that, you know, and you can find some really fun, quirky ways to do that, that give a sense of identity to an organization because the organization is really tapping into people's sort of unique passions. Like, for example, I worked in a company where we used to have these cooking competitions and people would, you know, it was a mid-sized company, but people would bring in or or teams actually would work in teams. So the, the office kind of divided up into teams. And so each team would come up with a menu. Okay. And then somebody would actually graphically design the menu. And then you would expose all the different dishes in the, in the auditorium. And then the general manager would come around with like a little committee, fun committee, and they would kind of taste all the different food. And then they would give some, (laughs) they would give some ratings and then everybody would eat everybody else's food. And it was just so much fun. And it was a way to get people and it, it cost nothing to the company. It was zero, you know, Of course, everybody kind of paid out of their own pocket to make that chocolate cake or, but everyone was happy to be able to show off their culinary skills Mm -hmm. and who was not a good cook was able to participate in another way. So in coordinating the team or doing the menu, for example, I remember I I actually graphically did the menu because I was, I'm not such a great cook, but it was just a lot of fun and it creates a, a nice atmosphere. So it's really just people have the resources to come up with their own ideas of how to of how to contribute and of course if you work for a nice nice big multi company you'll have some budget but you can also do it you know without budget Mm -hmm. budget is not the is not the key it's really the energy and the willingness to contribute Mm. i like that i really like that and Mm -hmm. i agree people are so creative when given the space and the invitation and Again, kind of coming back to the leaders, I guess the question is, how do we help leaders see how they can open the door, create the space so that employees can take action, come up with ideas? Do you know what I mean? Like, what's what is it that leaders are learning as you're working with them? Well, first of all, what they need to learn is that they need to be a coherent example so they cannot preach work-life balance if for example they themselves 
are sending emails at four o'clock in the morning and on the weekends. I mean, you know, the odd exception can happen, of course, but what you find is often it's systematic, right? So first of all, they need to be coherent in the way that they behave and the way that they show up. And they they also, I think there's this concept of servant leadership, which I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. So as a leader, you're not there for your own sort of agenda to 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 you know to have a career and to grow for yourself but you're actually there to facilitate the growth of the people that are in your care and therefore of the organization and I'm, I'm a strong believer in that i see many leaders that are put in positions that maybe are very technically competent but that have not been helped to then transition into people management which is a completely different skill set right it requires yeah. a different skill set and it i think it just comes with awareness and helping these leaders to be aware and when they finally understand how much more pleasant and fun it can be to have people you know feel valued and happy and flourish they automatically will will, will want to replicate that model i mean psychological safety is also something I'm really passionate about because you can't really have sort of positive leadership and positive work environments without that psychological safety. So, yeah, I mean, going back to your question, I think it's a bit of education, self-awareness, and just investing in helping these leaders transition from from technical roles to more leadership roles. Mm. And would you be willing to share a little bit more about what psychological safety is? Because I, I think it's a term that is thrown around a fair amount these days. And typically we know sort of intuitively when it's not present, but I think it's helpful to really put a definition to, so what exactly is psychological safety? Yeah, well, I can tell you what it is for for me, right? Because I don't, I mean, there's different definitions. But for me, psychological safety means feeling that you can really contribute totally to your work without feeling judged or having a repercussion to what you say. Mm. Um, I mean, when you're in a meeting and people are not speaking up anymore, it's often because they are scared because they've seen that speaking up will either get them into trouble or will mean more work for them or will mean that they'll start getting a bad reputation as the complainer. So people are scared to speak up and that's really bad. I mean, when, when people start stop speaking up, you have a really big problem, I think, as a, as a leader. So psychological with psychological safety comes also acknowledging that we need to learn from our mistakes. And so when we make mistakes and we fail at something, that's like the opportunity to learn and grow. And it's not the, doesn't mean that we should hide them or pretend they haven't happened, but it's actually sharing that knowledge and understanding, okay, this is what we've learned. How can we improve it next time? What can we do differently? And sharing that knowledge within the team and, you know, I, I know companies that have what they call like fail parties, right? Where they actually mm-hmm. celebrate these moments because it means that they are growing in excellence 
It actually is a moment, a pivoting moment of growing in excellence because without these moments, you won't, you wouldn't have growth. Mm-hmm. And psychological safety is also, I think, just having that respect and that humanity for the other person and having that empathy and understanding and appreciating another person's perspective. And this is also, you know, we go, we go in and talk about diversity and inclusion and, and, and equity and all of that. Mm. I'm a strong believer in having a very collaborative, very diverse team. Mm-hmm. Well, and it comes to mind a couple of different situations that I am aware of where talking about psychological safety, it's it's important that it comes both from the leadership and from the colleagues in the team. And there's a situation that I heard about where there was a team member who who made a mistake that was costly for everyone, caused some extra work for everyone. And it was interesting because the leaders were pretty understanding of this and said, okay, well, it's been done. What do we need to fix it? And and went about it pretty pragmatically. But the other team members actually were frustrated with the leadership for not being more harsh on this person that made the mistake. And it, it's it, it's an interesting dynamic when you kind of have this complexity there. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. I mean, it's just shows you how people are so quick to judge right I mean it could there could be many reasons why somebody makes a mistake often it's not in their control you know you have to maybe also receive processes and procedures that's the other thing big thing about happiness about chief happiness officers that a chief happiness officer will go and look at all the processes and procedures in place in the company and see whether they bring value in terms of making people feel good or does this process and procedure actually frustrate people and make them feel bad because a lot of processes and procedures are there and people don't even know why they're really there it's often just more like a power struggle and control as opposed to really be valuable for the team and for the company Yes, so, indeed. I'm thinking about government organizations that I work with that have <laughs> layers, layers of systems that are just seem to be there to make yeah. people miserable. <laughs> That's how it can feel. Yeah. And I mean, I come from the pharmaceutical industry. So there, there's obviously a lot of, you know, issues with safety and regulatory, mm-hmm. but, you know, you often find some huge barriers just being able to access your own budget hmm. and you know being able to invest in your own projects that have already been defined at the beginning of the year and so i mean there's there's now what we call teal organization which is a a, a, a very nice term that's been coined by lalu who's a researcher and a guru in in, in management And TEAL organizations are very special type of organizations. They have been around for, you know, 30, 40 years, actually. But they have a completely different way of being, of of sort of working. They don't have this hierarchical organizational chart. It's the furthest thing from command and control. It's very much about diffused responsibility and, you know, these type of organizations that 
exist and have been existing and have been very successful. They have a very unique management model and they're a huge inspiration. They've been a huge inspiration for the, the chief happiness officer certification. Oh. So, I mean, you know, I, most of my clients that come to me come to me because of being an, in a time of their life where they often come to me with very low self-esteem and this is often due to having had a very bad manager or having wow. been in a toxic environment for quite some time because you can sustain it but you can't sustain it for a long period of time and you can sustain it for one two three four months but when it comes to a year two years three years people start to feel the really the, the the impact the emotional impact and mental impact so when people seek me out for coaching they will come to me often with low self-esteem, often feeling lost or stuck, unsure which direction to move in and, you know, or in a, in a transition period, but just not really sure how to move. And that's what I help them with is to help reconnect with that, who they are, what their strengths are, to identify their personal values, you know, what they actually love, everything that I had to discover about myself, which I just recently discovered. And once I discovered my my core values, I then understood why I was feeling such a dissonance working in the previous jobs. Hmm. Would you be willing to share some specifics about your core values and, oh. and perhaps your strengths and, and, and then, you know, what, what is it that showed up and yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I'm, I've always known that I'm a people person. So I've always known that I just love connecting with people and having sort of collaborative, positive, you know, relationship with people. When I did my values assessment, I found out that my core values are, so the top one is love. Mm. My second one is gratitude. Third is kindness. My fourth is curiosity. Mm. And then my top fifth is appreciation of excellence and beauty. Wow. So, I mean, when I look at those values, I, I, for me, they are very much in line with what I do as a coach. So coaching and positive leadership facilitation and helping really people to feel reconnected with themselves, to feel valued, help them refine their happiness and help them to flourish and to create that psychological security. Also, trust and integrity are pretty huge ones for me. So I have the luxury now as a freelance coach and positive leadership facilitator to pick and choose who I work with so that I'm really almost always surrounded by, by people that just you know, are, are very positive as well, or that are looking to make a positive change in their life or in the lives of their employees. And that's huge for me. It's, you know, just being imbued in this type of, in this type of atmosphere is really nurturing also for, for my soul. I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday about this transformation and I was saying to her, I love this job because it fuels and nurtures my soul. Yeah. Wow. And yeah, so it's really finding that alignment and 
and you know my my next thing it was okay great so how can I make a living out of these values right yes, <laughs> yes that's what that's what lots of people are asking as they're listening yeah how did you get okay you discovered your core values <laughs> then what <laughs> and how am I gonna make a living out of this and again you know I I coached myself but I also got some coaching because when you certify to be a coach you also get a lot of coaching for, mm-hmm. for, for yourself. And I just realized how I was sitting on, first of all, I found my purpose. Okay. So I was, I clearly defined what my, my purpose was. And my purpose is I wish to leave the world a little brighter than I arrived by making a positive impact. How do I want to do that? I want to help people flourish through my coaching and by stimulating leaders to up their game as positive role models through my positive leadership facilitation. So this is important to me because I think that work environment, you know, we're we're in plays a huge impact on our lives, as I was saying before, both professionally and personally. And I thought, okay, so I'm sitting on 28 years of experience in management and leadership. How am I going to tap into that? So this this work of sort of coaching and, and leadership development is very much based also on word of mouth. So as you work with people and they appreciate and value your services, they will recommend you to somebody else. And so that is how I am. I'm building up my sort of portfolio career. Mm-hmm. I'm also working with, you know, this, this, this fantastic group called the Juice Partners, which you're also a part of and also for I love to be which is another company that does sort of coaching and and positive leadership I coach there as a coach for business school students so you know I've sort of activated different let's say streams I also have my personal clients coming to me via word of mouth I've got some Companies also coming to me that are looking for independent coaches. So there's also a bit of business development and entrepreneurship that as a coach, Mm -hmm. I need to, I can leverage because I also working in consulting had different business development roles. So that is how I am building up my, my new, my new life. And I, I thoroughly enjoy it and totally love it and every day I learn something new and just the privilege I mean for me it's really the privilege of being allowed into people's minds and to people's hearts mm-hmm. I, I really feel that that's such a privilege and again it links very much back with my love and gratitude and kindness yeah. and curiosity because you, you need to be curious about you know what people and their needs and what they've been through mm-hmm. yeah I I just want to ask this briefly, if someone is listening and as they hear you talk about core values, they might realize, I don't know what my core values are. What, what is the, a way that people can discover their core values? Come to coaching. (laughs) (laughs) Come to coaching. But no, I mean, you can discover your core values by just even thinking about them, you know, look, look it up, Google it. There's many different types of values. Look at them, 
and see the ones that pop out from the page mm-hmm. that resonate with you. There's also some online resources where you can, you know, by answering some questions, they'll tell you which your, your core values are. But there's all this other work. So once you've discovered which what your core values are, it's important to then think, okay, am I using my core values? How am I using them? How would I like to use more of my core values? Why haven't I been using them? What's been preventing me from using them? And so it's just that level, gaining that level of self-awareness also. And I think core values are very important as are identifying your strengths, because when you need to make a decision in your life, they can be your guiding principle when you don't know how to decide on something. Think back again. What makes you happy? Because if you find an alignment with your core values and your strengths, that's when you start to have, you know, feeling more connected and more and and happier, really, because you're able to also expend less energy by just thriving and rocking at what you know and want to do. Mm. I think that's a really really valuable point of expending less energy when we're able to to be in alignment with our core values and our strengths and i know i have certainly experienced different times in my life where i have not been able to stay in full alignment with my core values and sometimes there's been legitimate reasons to to choose either a, a temporary activity or a, a job or think something that is like i i'm i'm aware this is not fully aligned with my core values. Here's why I'm going to do it. But then also be aware it is going to take more energy. I'm, I need to be more careful of not moving towards burnout. I need to make sure I'm taking care of myself and getting to live into my core values in other parts. I think that's really, really valuable. And if I may ask about your strengths, because you've mentioned that a couple of times and I, would you be willing to share your own strengths that you have identified and, and how those have also helped you align your life and your work? Sure. So I'm, I'm a learner. I love learning new things. That's why I also like doing all these certifications and (laughs) upskilling and reskilling. So I'm definitely a learner. I'm also, another strength of mine is to what we call individualization. So I'm, if I'm say, say I, I, you know, my objective is to help a team to become a team as opposed to just a set of people, but to actually feel like building a team is really understanding how each person can feel valued. And as a manager, I was very quick at understanding what would make each individual person tick and how they could contribute their uniqueness to a team and having a real appreciation for that uniqueness as opposed to having these stereotypes you know you you're a product manager therefore this is what you need to do Uh uh-uh this product manager is good at doing this and therefore they want to do this. They like doing this. So these are the things that this product manager should do whilst this other product manager maybe is more into, I don't know, developing the digital stuff. So it's really finding or, you know, organizing workshops because that's what they love to do or collecting feedback. And it's really finding, and normally it coincides finding their each person's talent 
normally coincides with what they actually love to do. So I have a knack for understanding intuitively what that is, but also I have learned and trained myself to ask them and have these conversations. And, and you know, they may not know, they may not have that awareness, but by using my coaching skills to help them gain that awareness. Mm-hmm. So individualization is another big one for me. Another big one is the capacity to, to create harmony. So I am not good with conflict. I mean, conflict mm. is something that I don't like, but at the same time, I know I very well where my boundaries are and I'm willing to give my life to protect those boundaries. Having said that, I, in general, in my everyday life, possible, I do like to create harmony. And I think that in such a conflict-prone world and where aggression is on the rise and stress and all of that, having somebody that tries to put out the fire and tries to keep people together is, is also very helpful. Hmm. So I would say that those are my sort of my three top strengths. Hmm. What was the process of you getting to the point where you can really clearly identify your top three strengths? Is that something you have always known intuitively or was that a, a journey? That was, I've always, no, it was a journey, but having worked for multinational companies and having also done an MBA, you do get put through a lot of training where hmm. they do lots of different assessments on you, different types of assessments, whether it's, you know, the Gallup or the MBTI or the Hogan. And you you get back, you know, all this information about yourself and you're like, oh, yeah, that that's actually, oh, I'm an introvert. Yeah, that makes sense. Yes, I am an introvert or I'm more of a feeler than a thinker, you know, and get, getting that awareness from this, all these assessments is a, it w- was a way for me to to learn more about myself. And I mean, everything I've also just life, I mean, everything I've lived through, I can assure you that some of it was extremely painful and uncomfortable, but everything I've lived through has really helped me to discover myself and also appreciate myself and my resilience and and Mm. my, my, my wanting to sort of better myself. So with, with my new life, with my coaching and my positive leadership facilitation, I feel I've really found a way to leverage my, my personal values as opposed to hiding or camouflaging them. And on my website, actually, I, I designed a logo of a rainbow with a heart at the center, and it represents finding one true colors and letting them shine through to mm. show our real selves, our heart and our essence. Like uh, yeah, so I'm still working like a lot from my bedroom with my fluffy cat, and <laughs> I'm still doing a lot of Zoom calls. Even though I now also enjoy integrating that with some face-to-face sessions and some sort of off-site work. But at the end of the day, I am energized. I mean, I need to pull myself from my work. I have to make myself stop because I just love what I do and the impact I have so much. So it's not about the Zoom calls. It's about actually my sense of purpose and just having found my my flow, I think. Mm. Yes, mm. my flow. That's really beautiful. And it's inspiring. <laughs> so the question that comes up for me, I think about the individual who might be listening and at this point might feel 
perhaps lost, perhaps just a disconnect from core values or a big question mark around, I don't know, what is my purpose? What what are your words of wisdom, Beatrice, for someone that might be in that situation as they they listen today? I think that the fact that they're even asking themselves is already a good thing. (laughs) So that's already step one, is a lot of people don't even ask themselves that question. So pat on the back for asking yourself and putting yourself in that sort of uncomfortable where you need to kind of think about it. But not it's not just often a cognitive process. It's almost like you need to kind of feel it from your heart. And you don't mind that cognitively. So it'll come to you. I mean, if you ask yourself the question and you look out for what it is that you, what your purpose in life is, it'll come to you, I think, as time goes by. I mean, someday something will happen and it'll click. And if not, again, you know, that's what coaching is for, that coaching, we use different techniques to kind of help accelerate that process and to put it into focus. There's many fantastic coaches out there. So coaching is available for that purpose as well. So yeah, that's my my advice. I love that. I love that. And I think about, I can't help but kind of think back on my own journey and pieces of it as you're sharing that. And it's been about six, seven years now since I came across this quote that the Make Life Less Difficult podcast grew out of, but what do we live for if not to make life less difficult for each other? When I read that, it spoke to me deeply. And mm. I have been someone who is is always, I'm always searching. I am always looking for who I am. And when I land on my identity and purpose, it feels great. But then six months later, I'm not sure. Oh, is that really it? I think I should keep searching. It doesn't quite stick. And it's been a really interesting journey to land on this and say, this really encapsulates my purpose in this world, both personally and professionally in an amazing way. And I feel grateful to have landed on it. And also I feel compassion towards those who may not have landed yet on it and want to just say it can be a journey. And I, I am certainly one who I feel like it was an up and down journey and an an evolution and a progression of, of finding what I feel. And, and also I recognize maybe it shifts and changes in the future, but yeah, it can be certainly a journey. Mm. Yes, an evolutionary journey. Mm-hmm. It, it needs to be an evolutionary journey, I think. Because mm. otherwise it's going to get so boring, right? Otherwise you're going to start getting stuck. And, you know, maybe if we have this conversation again, hopefully not next year, but maybe in five years' time, I'll be like, oh, actually, I've discovered that my purpose is something different. For now, yeah. my sense of purpose serves me for what I'm doing, but that may change. Mm -hmm. And going back to what you were saying about what the work that you've been doing on yourself, I think that this podcast that you're hosting is just such a fantastic way to connect with people and to help people that have a moment to listen to, to, Mm -hmm. to the podcast, to understand 
different perspectives on what makes life less painful mm. and and difficult yeah. well less difficult which for me is kind of means less painful and less less stressful it may mm. mean, mean something different to somebody else but i think it's it's fantastic the, 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 this idea of this podcast that you've had and i've looked at the incredible people that you've interviewed mm-hmm. and I've listened to some of the podcasts and they're just a, so inspirational because they've every podcast I've listened to has helped me just broaden my mind a little bit more and to learn something new as well. Mm. Thank you. Thank you very much. And now you are part of the library of resources and inspiration that is growing in this podcast. Yeah, that's really, oh, absolutely. Beatrice, this has been phenomenal. And I am so grateful of hearing these pieces of your journey, your wisdom around being a chief happiness officer and what you bring to organizations and leaders and teams. I'm, I'm curious, is there, is there anything on your heart that we have not had a chance to touch on yet before we move towards closing our conversation? I would just like to maybe touch upon gratitude Mm. and the fact that gratitude is a big thing when it comes to happiness. And as, as, as one of my core values, just learning to practice gratitude, I think really, really helps. So not always looking for what you don't have yet or want to have, but actually acknowledging and focusing on what you do have. Mm -hmm. I am naturally a very grateful person. I mean, I'm grateful for the fact that I live in a country where there is no war. Mm -hmm. I think that I'm able to have a warm shower every day, that I have food on my table, that I'm healthy, my family's healthy. All the things that a lot of people take for granted, I do not take for granted. So I think just I I, I hope people can be a bit more mindful in terms of looking at the extraordinary in the ordinary things that mm. surround us. Mm. Yes, I feel myself just take a big sigh and my body relaxes a little bit as you describe that. It's such a powerful reminder of all of the things that are present in my life to have gratitude for and to remember that my brain often likes to focus on what I think might be missing or I see somewhere else. But that that practice of coming back to to sometimes the very mundane, ordinary things that are, as you said, truly extraordinary. Yeah. People that the love that we have in our lives, the, the love that we have for our friends and our family and the love that we, re- we receive from them. That is just so beautiful. And for me, my friends and my, my family, my husband, my, my children, they've always been such a source of energy for me. And again, very grateful to have so much love in my life and to be able to move through life through life with love again one of my core values so that's why i bring it up but i think it's important to acknowledge Mm -hmm. the love we have in our lives as well Mm -hmm. and i just love that phrase i want to just jot it down moving through life with love there's 
that in itself to me it, it brings me back to this idea of making life less difficult it doesn't necessarily eliminate difficult times it doesn't take away the painful times it just can make it a little less difficult to move through life with love yeah yeah beautiful beatrice thank you so very much Thank you, Lisa. I really enjoyed this podcast. I mean, I, I felt like we were just having a chat, you and I. Yeah. And I think you have this gift for, you know, creating this psychological safety. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Well, these these chats are so life-giving to me and add so much to my life. So it it really does feel like the icing on the cake that other people listen in and are inspired and touched. And, and hopefully, like you said, towards the beginning of our conversation, if there's just one person who listens and is touched and connects and life is made a little less difficult in the moment, then success, that is, that's the beauty that we hope that we hope to share. So. Exactly. Let's continue this. Come back again. You mentioned five years. Let's do it sooner than five years. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I'll do that. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's conversation and episode of the Make Life Less Difficult podcast. Editing is done by Joseph Burdock. Artwork is by Emma Burdock. I'd be honored if you took a moment to share this with a friend and or leave us a review. Together, I truly believe we can make life less difficult. 